there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Hi, I'm Sal Governale, and this is Richard Christie. And you're listening to The Leo Blavin Show, yeah! Well, uh, good evening. It's about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And the debate is upon us. They're predicting uh, record TV watching. We'll see. (laughs) I don't think the football game is going to interfere with tonight's debate, by the way. That was a big uh, brouhaha that Trump was raising months ago. Because it's not. An- yeah, there's only like one night a week now that doesn't have football. Yeah, that's uh, that's America for you. And of course, the association with football and militarism is, I think, unfortunately, getting worse. But uh, obviously, past debates have mattered. This debate could matter, and on the other hand, it might not matter. Uh, obviously, well, it's the first of I think three, three presidential, one VP. I'm kind of confused about the order of the precise four debates, quote-unquote, and who knows if Trump will uh, even show up <laughs> for the... Yeah, based on how this first one goes, he may just say whatever and shrug the whole Well, he did that proceedings off. a couple of times during the Republican primary and didn't pay a price for it. Um, he, he realized that he was getting whooped by Ted Cruz, who briefly ba- made it back in the news last week by confessing that he was going to vote for Donald Trump now. Rather remarkable in in his case, since Trump insulted him, his wife, and his father. (laughs) But uh, Ted Cruz is thinking about his future. And, of course, the election is is way too unpredictable to to make any calls at this point. Uh, Obviously, Ohio and Florida are going to be... They're always close. They're always uh, they're always close. Well, in Pennsylvania this year may be uh, a little bit more. And North Carolina will be, will be very close. Uh, there's no question about that. That the toss-up states remain the toss-up states, and that's where the election will be had, one way or another. I thought one of the most interesting things that I saw from the polls, because obviously polls are snapshots, and some polls are better than others, was the uh, the fact that. Uh, I thought that the most shocking thing, this is from the September 7th Washington Post analysis of all 50 states, the most shocking thing was that Hillary Clinton actually had a lead in uh, Texas and Georgia Georgia was tied, 46-46 in Georgia, Texas lead, 46-45. 
uh, remarkable stuff. And in fact, you saw Tim Kaine just last week in Texas. So it's interesting that even states like that are becoming closer. And uh, let's face it, this the, the, this election is really going to come down to ground game, I think, after the debates, unless there's a major stumble tonight. And I think that the thing that we can't predict is the quality of the questions. I think that the unfortunate thing in the last week is we've had a week of debating about the debates, mm. gaming the refs, playing the refs, gaming the media, I guess is a better way to call it, uh, with all this kind of nonsense about expectations. And I don't know what expectations have to do with it. Um, I think Hillary will do well, but uh, how well is another story. She can be a little wordy. Um, one memorable example of the, her problem with this, by the way, was when she, she was interviewing Bernie right before the Michigan primary. She was asked a question about fracking. Are you in favor of fracking? She gave a long kind of wonkish policy, wonkish answer. Bernie just said no. He didn't even explain why he was against fracking. He just said no. So I think it's important to answer the question and have crisp answers, which I think she'll do. But um, I think all of this nonsense about the double standard, is she shrill? Um, is she too authoritative? All this stuff about how there's this double standard regarding how women are, are viewed in debates, I think, is... Uh, exceedingly problematic for her. And I think that most of the pundits have it correct. She probably has a more difficult task tonight than Donald Trump. Yeah, and as I've sort of theorized before on the show, I suspect that at at least one level, for a lot of people, it's the uh, voting for your mom thing that they just can't get over. Um or the music teacher, I call. Yeah, I, I call Hillary Clinton a a woman with a music teacher problem. <laughs> She's effective, but you're just not in love with her. Bit but of a buzzkill. I don't know that that is the standard. I, in other words, well, that's just it. Is it's yeah. an unfair standard yeah. because if you're voting for who do I want to hang out with, my mom or my buddies, who my mom thinks are jerks, well. You know, I love my mom, but my buddies are my buddies. So right. you're going to hang out with your buddies and you visit your mom and stuff. But uh, you're you're voting for president. You're not voting for your mom. And you're not voting for who's the guy you'd rather hang out with. You're voting for who's the least likely to totally screw things up. Sure. And it's important to keep that in mind. You do not need to like the person. Well, and Donald Trump normally would have had, had a bad week last week. I mean, it came out, for instance, that he had diverted uh, a quarter of a million dollars. We're not talking here about a little bit of money. We're talking about a quarter of a million dollars from his foundation to deal with his business bills in Florida. And then, of course, there was some f amusing stuff about the, the portrait. Well, I mean, for found in a, in a, in a bar... In, in the uh, clubhouse at one of the golf courses, the six-foot oh. portrait. And it's I not gone all Dorian Gray, has it? That's what I thought of immediately. <laughs> I thought that Donald Trump is definitely the picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, I was hoping it was, because apparently there was a reporter 
uh, from the Miami area that snuck around at night, convinced some of the uh, hired help, let's put it that way. Do you know about this portrait? You know, this was like called shoe leather journalism, so you can just picture him out there with his uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, magnifying glass and... And in the portrait, he turns out to have these long, uh, aquiline fingers like E.T. He turns out to be Howard Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> the elusive Howard Hughes. Well, and Howard Hughes was familiar with the idea of putting cash in a bag and running it over to a political campaign sure. as a business maneuver. And for Trump to do what he did with campaign finances, it underscores what I think many have suspected all along is that this run for president is not really about becoming president. It's just another business maneuver. It's a publicity stunt that's just blown up to uh, epic proportions beyond anyone's uh, ability to have foreseen it. Well, and it's become surreal. I mean, I, I think that one area, for instance, tonight where Trump could get into some trouble is he has shown a very poor grasp of what's actually going on in the world. Um I, for instance, would love to see him confronted about his promise to bring it, bring back coal jobs to the United States. Um, the utility company switched to natural gas over a decade ago, dude. Uh, we haven't built a new nuclear power plant in the United States that effectively produces any serious quantity of electricity since Three Mile Island. <laughs> um and let's hope that Donald Trump does not uh, reiterate Ronald Reagan's so-called great line, there you go again. I've never quite understood why that line is considered so effective. Or funny. Yeah, because nothing it's, about it. it. It's It sounds like an appeal to Aunt B. Well, I mean, that was, I think, the reason that it did become effective was because it was one of those, like, sort of, TV character catchphrases, like Urkel's famous, Did I do that? Right. You know, and in fact, those were the deep. Oh, it was actually the 84 debates with Mondale where the uh, where's the beef line from a Wendy's well, that, ad. That was from Hart and Mondale. But uh, but you're right. I mean, the 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 Carter uh, debacle. And of course, Carter made the mistake of only debating Reagan once. The, Very the, boring debate, by the way. They yeah. they rebroadcast it over the weekend on C-SPAN. Oh, wow. And uh, it was. Sleep, sleeping fascinating egg. how dull it was oh i can believe that because carter carter's problem and this is you know this is related to hillary the media criticism of hillary clinton she's asked questions about national security a couple of weeks ago in this sort of staged uh, interview with matt lauer and what's the criticism she wasn't smiling enough well i'm a little unclear why she should be smiling about all of the serious natural and uh, national security issues that America's confronted with. I it's mean, it's not like she's running for newscaster. Well, and the Syrian civil war, for instance, is one of the most uh, barbaric things that's happened in human civilization. I mean, we're seeing a country of 25 million people. Um, I mean, the, the numbers are just staggering when you realize how many people are internally displaced. Uh, oh, and by the way, Obama has received an inordinate amount of criticism for just allowing 10,000 refugees, Syrian refugees, into the United States with claims that, false claims, that these people are not being vetted 
And you can even have Donald Trump Jr., I believe, uh, make a reference to Skittles and Syrian refugees. Uh, well, I don't know if you saw the uh, video that the White House put out last week where Obama took a letter that he'd received from a six-year-old boy. And it's a very nicely done, short little film in which this boy reads his letter about saying, hey, you know, we got a room in our house. I saw the kid in the ambulance in Syria. He needs to get out of there. And sure. Obama's comment that we can learn a lot from this six-year-old kid who hasn't learned to be cynical and fearful yet. Precisely. Uh, that's exactly the kind of message that America is supposed to be about and supposed to stand for. And uh, it's the kind of message that you fight ISIS with, too. Well, and also with Hillary Clinton tonight and the, the, the so-called dystopian uh, view that that uh, Trump has presented of America, this sort of apocalyptic, um, these claims, for instance, that some of our urban areas are, are worse off than Syria or Afghanistan, which is just... Insulting. Ludicrous yeah. on the face of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it demonstrates a total ignorance of what is going on in these countries, the United States, of and course, it's sort of a casual indifference to it all. You know, we've been in Afghanistan for 37 years <laughs> now. It is now our longest war, and uh, are the, even the narratives that are being presented about Afghanistan are completely fraudulent at this point. Um, so, you know, Hillary Clinton needs to kind of get I, the big picture right as well as the uh, some of the policy issues where Trump may fall short. Let's remember, by the way, that in the Republican debates, tr I think Trump's all-time record of actually speaking was about eight minutes. That's correct. <laughs> so he's not terribly—and uh, uh, in and, and some of the debates, he genuinely looked like he was falling asleep in the second half of the debate. He may have more of a stamina problem than he realizes— and I don't know if handstands are going to save him. But I have not been fooled by either his makeover or the comb-over. Uh, it's just not working for me. It apparently is softening Donald Trump's image and this idea that the pundits are, are making that all Trump has to do tonight is be plausible. Really? Well, that's what the primaries are for. To, to show plausibility. <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, in the context of the Republican primaries, it's not hard to see why, to some, he did appear to be plausible. That was a pretty bankrupt field. Well, yeah, he candidates. was running against Mickey Mouse and the Seven Dwarves. <sighs> Um, but he's going to have to have... I mean, Ted Cruz and John Kasich, the last two men standing, were... Heads and shoulders, the best of the remain of, of right. that whole field to begin with. Uh, Jeb, I mean, he came in with such baggage; it was hard to even believe he contemplated. You, you suspect he knew that too, because you never got the vibe from from Jeb that he was. I'm ready it. to go. Yeah, he was just not ever in the game. And you know, to use the old sports analogy, uh, Trump's going to have to play the full 90 minutes tonight. And that's going to be a real challenge. And, of course, it's uh, with, with, with last week's events, though, I, I just found it fascinating the way the Charlotte, um, North Carolina events sort of consumed the media for the week and that there was almost no coverage of 
uh, Donald Trump's uh, diversion of money from his charity. In fact, there have been more questions raised about the Clinton Foundation, which is somewhat strange since they actually do charitable work. And Trump's charity work seems to be connected with golf courses and gosh knows what else, portraits. I'm beginning to think that the wall that Trump is building is going to consist of portraits of Donald Trump. In fact, I think if they put portraits of Donald Trump on the border facing Mexico, people will run back. <laughs> Not out of fear, out of disgust, out of contempt. Perhaps that's the wall that Trump has in mind. Um, I hope that no questions are asked about the wall again tonight, but I certainly hope some questions are asked about um, Trump, Trump's continuing claims and power potential that he'll have in the area of free trade. And I certainly want to know more about the 11 million deportations that he has in mind, because I keep maintaining that that really, at the end of the day, is going to kind of consist of creating an, an American version of the SS. I doubt Lester Holt will use those words, but um, let's confront Trump on some of these proposals. Because I think that one of the problems with Trump is that there's a kind of a an aura of fantasy about so many things he's promising that it really is going to be insufficient for Hillary Clinton to say, your numbers don't add up. Because what will happen invariably is the next day, Trump will have a spokesman, hopefully Newt Gingrich, <laughs> or Rudy Giuliani, they seem to be his, uh, his right-hand and left-hand men these days, on uh, talking in the media that will explain the numbers, quote unquote, and then it will come across as this, he said, she said, it's just politics. It's this sort of disgust that is developing in America that is so troubling, this cynicism that is so overwhelming uh, that people don't believe in the system and that, quite frankly, uh, we'll be lucky. I think a lot of people will view the debates tonight, but... I suspect the turnout will be will be down quite a bit uh, this year. Well, there's no doubt that the way this election has gone is is going to have a negative long term effect uh, until the whole process can be reformed, shortened, stripped of the so called Citizens United, you know, money equals uh, free speech uh, issues. In which, ironically, by the way, Hillary Clinton was the defendant. You know, the Supreme Court is another yeah. is another interesting example of an issue that's just disappeared. Where, will we hear a question about that tonight? I mean, it's 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 almost invisible as an issue uh, in this presidential campaign. Um, you know, gas prices are what lows for the last several years. Unemployment rate is is one of the lowest uh, in quite some time. Job creation. One of the longest job expansions in American history. Well, there's an article on the front page of the New York Times today about how more people are able to eke their way out of poverty levels uh, because of some very minor increases in wages. And, of course, there are 
problems with some of the job creation, but I would like to hear some creative questions about economics, not just a uh, blueprint about the tax cut that Donald Trump claims is going to create jobs. I want to hear some questions about the future of work. And minimum wage. In the United States. Yeah. What is what is work going to look like uh, in 20 years? Um, is technology actually going to displace even more people uh, from some of the jobs that we have come to expect to exist even in this economy? Well, you know, sure. I heard a fascinating yeah. thing just last week. That 50% of cell phone users now are not downloading any more apps. So this whole big boom that they were projecting just a couple of years ago about this enormous growth in for young people. Go out and get a job developing apps. Well, two companies own pretty much all the apps, right? And if 50% of the American consumers are not downloading any more apps... Why do we need more apps? And how many apps can your cell phone take anyway? I'd like to hear some creative questions from Lester Holt. But well, I'm not, I'm not going to bet the farm on it. No, probably not in this round of questioning. But, you know, speaking about what is the future of work, the very structure of the work day, uh, the work week is completely up for grabs uh, and you know, you could restructure the whole thing. School is another thing that uh, the schedule is outdated and old-fashioned. Lots and lots of people here at the University of Michigan work from home now, at least a couple of days a week. Sure. And so weeks can be shortened. Uh, that's a way to create jobs by sort of, you know, people willfully, you know, shortening their own week uh, to free up hours for other people to have. Of course, everybody wants the money, but free time is now being seen as just as valuable as income. In some cases. And I've personally always lived my life under that theory. In fact, I've always been a low-income person deliberately <laughs> because I wrote a, a paper in economics when I was going to U of M about why why uh, low-income people don't work. And that is, is that the pay is so low, it's not worth working. If you're going to be poor, you may as well be a little poorer and work 10, 10 hours less a week. Of course, you have to compensate in other areas. You have to be effective, for instance, at being willing to uh, eat beans and rice and cook your own food at home, not eat out. There's all kinds of little tricks. Well, as the Dow says, it is contented to be contented. But free time, and of course, one of the great equalizers. Yeah, you can't buy free time. I mean, that's... Can't buy it. And one of the only equalizers in all across the globe no matter what is that an hour in bangladesh is an hour in nairobi is an hour in kenya um nairobi kenya is an hour in uh algeria is an hour in france is an hour in newfoundland is an hour in hawaii uh, an hour in japan it's all the same mm -hmm. so it'd be fascinating if, if holt went in that direction but i'm not counting on it um, I do think that uh, Donald Trump, though, does need to be confronted about his rather radical ideas about free trade. These, by the way, are not, um, you know, let's rip up. The, his proposal, by the way, is to just rip it all up and renegotiate everything. But do you know that the United States has had a concept about free trade that really goes back to our founding fathers? This is not a concept. You know, there's been a debate about the tariff. But the basic concept of free trade 
has been turned on its head this uh, in, in this election for a variety of reasons. And I think that a lot of the uh, vitriol against NAFTA, um, as an example, or the WTO and China and all of this stuff, these, are, these sound like good solutions to complicated problems. But what happens if we start having a trade war with China? Um, are Americans prepared to pay more for their guacamole <laughs> and their limes for their cocktails? Well, let's hear some some real answers to these questions. Not How only does, are we going to build a wall, we're going to make the Mexicans give us the limes. Right. We'll, we'll invade. Um, it's funny, too, because you've even heard some suggestions, by the way, that if the United States reneges on some of these uh, deals with Mexico, that they may renegotiate the Gasden Treaty, <laughs> which gave... Arizona and New Mexico to the United States, I think. Um, recall, of course, that Texas was annexed mm -hmm. by James Polk. <laughs> Remember the Alamo. <laughs> yeah, and of course, I've always found it amusing that that phrase, Remember the Alamo, itself seems to forget that they lost that battle. Yes. <laughs> Remember the Alamo. It's like, well, yeah, but it's a cautionary tale, right? Remember the Maine. <laughs> right. The cry of 1898 that, of course, led to American imperialism, um, which, incidentally, by the way, is it fascinating in the complicated questions about immigration. Donald Trump has suggested repeatedly that this is all about Mexico. It isn't. We know for a fact that 40% of quote-unquote illegal immigrants are people that fly in from Europe and just overstay their visa. Lots of Canadians, too, more than yeah. people British, realize. Irish, you name it. Uh, you know, how does how is that going to work? Donald Trump has not been confronted about any of his complicated, the complications about immigration. It's all very abstract. It's an appeal to race. It's this fear-mongering, this Trump formula of, of hatred, fear, paranoia. You know, it's, it's troubling. Uh, for me as an, as an American, that this is succeeding at any level. And I heard a gentleman interviewed on um, this mor the, the, the morning program on NPR this morning from Georgia who actually said that he would be joining a militia if Hillary Clinton were elected and that they were going to declare war on the United States. Well, good luck with that. <sighs> He's a that's, Trump supporter. Uh, um, that's just a refusal to play ball. I mean, that's like I'm just going to go home and declare my home a, a personal, you know, sovereign state. Yeah, he, he's not deplorable. He's psycho. I mean, he's dangerous. Yeah. But he reassured and us that he loves America because he can hear the sounds from the, the county fair over over the meadow. Uh, and that this makes him an American. Um, well, living here makes him an American. Saying he loves America means probably not much more than that he loves his own mental construct of what he thinks America is. Right. I mean, even that is a nebulous uh, one, grasp on reality. One thing I think that we can be certain about, Donald Trump will declare victory no matter what. So even yeah. if he 
fumbles the ball six times, screws up on a lot of questions, and I think you can even count on the fact that the media will create a false balance no matter what uh, tomorrow in analyzing fact-checking. Well, the fact-checking, of course, has been a a major talking point for the uh, media this week, the debate about should fact-checking be itself a part of the debate. Right, of the Um, moderator's role in the debate. Yeah, which I I think is a complicated issue and an interesting question, but I think ultimately it doesn't really matter as long as there's accountability the next day. Um, Which there won't be. Right, and that's the problem. Yeah, and and one of the fascinating things is even during the primaries, there's this sort of narrative that is repeated over and over that Hillary must... uh, come across as, quote, likable and trustworthy because she's not trusted, um, when in fact they've shown over and over that she actually has been the most factual candidate of all the candidates in terms of what she's actually said. Now, little fibs about the emails and what what was all involved with that. Uh, we've gone over that. <laughs> These emails amount to nothing. Um, I'm surprised they weren't found in a pumpkin in uh, Westminster, Maryland. Uh, after all, Ronald Reagan did honor Whitaker Chambers for contributing to the downfall of the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, that pumpkin patch is honored with a... Uh... It's a national park. <laughs> you can see it now. <laughs> well, that and uh, the birthplace of Lawrence Welk, uh, Ronald Reagan saw fit to designate as National Heritage Sites, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that is one thing the president can do. But the president does have remarkable power in the area of free trade. So it might be kind of interesting to find out more details about Donald Trump's uh, real ideas about free trade. And one wonders if, for instance, you you can almost count on the fact that he's going to fall back on his tax cut economic proposals that he claims will create all these jobs and bring 4% growth. Well, that's where the fact checking needs to come into play. Uh, these tax cuts that were employed by Ronald Reagan and uh, George W. Bush. By the way, H.W. announced that he's voting for Hillary Clinton. Yep. Surprising, uh, I would say. Um, Honorable of him to actually admit it, uh, because there seems to be a kind of shyness in some Republican quarters about Donald Trump. They don't know what to do with this man. He's sort of like the crazy uncle who lives in the attic, painting the picture of Dorian Gray. (laughs) So, Well, you know, I mean, uh, that's also partly a uh, maneuver by H.W. Bush, who, for all of his flaws, was admirable in a handful of ways. um, I just hope Hillary says, Trump, I've had it with all your baloney. Give me 50. Well, H.W. is trying to make him show that he can do 50 push-ups. The future of the Republican Party, I suspect, by saying, you know, hey, we're not all completely crazy here. Well, and national security issues, in theory, would be an advantage for Hillary Clinton. But the problem that she has is that she's been portrayed as this hawk, rightly or wrongly. Uh, She apparently, in many of the national security meetings with Obama, had a more hawkish position than some of her colleagues. But I wouldn't call Hillary Clinton a hawk. (laughs) Um, I think she's more of a realist. Um, Well, again, there's partly uh, the gender double standard to blame there, because in my own experience as a motorist and as a citizen, 
uh, and I've spoken with many who've agreed with me, that a female officer already uh, in approaching somebody she's pulled over has to deal with the, oh, they're not going to respect me because I'm a woman, so I have to really come on hard and be a real hard ass. And I think which they sometimes do. Yeah, 